Today, I, I want to get into the Word of God. I read a story recently. It was 2004, the Athens Olympic Games, and Matthew Emmons was a dominant shooter with a rifle. He was the top of his game, and he had been so dominant in these Olympic Games that as he moved into the last round and the last three shots, all he had to do to secure the goal was hit the paper target. He didn't even have to be close to the bullseye. He just had to hit the target. That's how far ahead of the competition he was. And so Matthew would later say, as he went into the final round at the Olympic Games in Athens, he said, I just focused on my breathing. I just wanted to focus on my breathing. He was taking control of his breath, slowing his heart rate down, easing his hands so that he could squeeze the trigger between heartbeats. And so he, he, he lines up to take his final three shots in the final round, and his heart's beating. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Bang. First shot, bullseye. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Bang. Second shot, bullseye. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Bang. Third shot, bullseye. All three shots, perfectly dead center of the target. But it wasn't too many moments after that that he realized something was wrong. Unfortunately, because Matthew Emmons was just so focused on his breathing, what he didn't realize in the moment is that he had cross-fired. While he was supposed to be hitting this target, he was aimed at this target on the other side. And he lost the medal because he was aiming at the wrong target. How many of you understand you can be the greatest marksman in the world, but it doesn't matter if you're aimed at the wrong target. In 2020, I want to challenge us as a church to be, sure, <coughs> to be sure that we are focused in on what matters the most. <coughs> you know, as we launch this new year, I've heard a lot of talk about 2020 vision in 2020. <clears throat> I've heard a lot of great catchphrases. I've heard a lot of vision casting and inspiring themes and monikers. And, and I've thought through many myself, but every time I prayed and prepared for this service on this first Sunday of the new year, I heard the Holy Spirit saying something to me, wait on me. Wait on me. And can I be honest with you today? That, that's frustrating sometimes. You ever had God tell you that? <laughs> and you're like, God, is it A, B, or C? <laughs> D, none of the above. Wait on me. And so as, as we were preparing for this Sunday, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about how we started the last three years in this church. The last three years, we've began the first Sunday of the new year, and, and we revealed a banner and a slogan and said, this is what the Lord is saying for 2017. This is the word of the Lord for 2018 and 2019. And while I've written many words down and, and brought many things before the Lord, said, God, is this what you're saying? Every time he's responded, that's good. Wait on me. And so as we come into this new year, <clears throat> I want to invite you and ask you as a church in this week of prayer and in this first three-week series for the church and for your own life to wait 
on the Lord to make sure that you don't spend your time and your energy working on all of the details of getting all the steps in place and as long as your breathing's right and you know your, your church attendance is right, you got all the, the things in place only to realize that you aligned your life and the crosshairs were pointed at the wrong target. Let's wait on God. Let's hear what he has to say. D.L. Moody once said it like this. He said, our greatest fear shouldn't be of failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't matter. I want to make sure that the vision that I'm aligning my life with is the vision that God has for me. Now, here's the problem with vision, because we start talking about God's vision and hearing God's voice and getting God's direction. And how many of you know that that can be, be a little bit mysterious sometimes? I mean, sometimes when you're talking about knowing the will of God, those kind of conversations can become ambiguous. And, and, and I don't know, what is God's will? What is God's direction? What is God saying? Can I tell you today, the way that we most clearly know the will of God is right here in his word. It's right here in his word. I mean, if you want to know what God is saying, it's in black and white. If you want to know what God is saying, he has spoken clearly. The Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light on my path. That's what the word of God is. It illuminates our path. It orders and directs our steps. So for these first three Sundays of 2020, we're going to lean in with all of our hearts to what the Spirit of God was doing in the early church. And if you want to open your Bibles with me, we're going to Acts chapter 2 in just a moment. I want you to see something here that was in God's original plan for the church because here's my conviction. God didn't need a 2.0 version of the church. I think he got it right the first time, amen? I, I don't think he had to go back and retool and modify his plan it's his church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the rhythms of what the spirit of God was doing in the church every day <clears throat> at the birthplace of the church in Acts chapter two. If you found Acts two, go with me to verse 42 through 47. I want you to see the rhythm that's here. See, a lot of people talk about resolutions, and, and I'm all for them. I've made some myself, but more than a resolution, we need a rhythm. Because if there's going to be any lasting change in our life, it's going to be more than a one-time statement or a commitment or something that we write down. How many of you know it's going to be a routine? It's going to be a part of the rhythm of your life. And there's a pattern here that we see in the everyday life of the church. Beginning in verse 42, Acts 2 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Right here in verse 47, we can see the Lord's part. This is what 
he's doing in the church. It says, and the Lord added daily to the number of those who were being saved. How many of you understand Jesus is the Savior of the world? I'm not the Savior. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not either. Jesus is the one who saves. It's his spirit. The Bible says no one seeks the Father unless the Spirit draws them. He's the one that is saving the lost. Jesus said, I will build my church. Not you, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's his church, and that's his part. He is adding to the church daily those who are being saved. But what's your part? Well, your part is everything we read before that. (laughs) It's all the stuff that comes before his part. It's the daily, everyday devotion that he's called us to. You know, I've got my iPhone here in my pocket. This is a kind of a new one. We we updated the plans, you know. You have to do that every once in a while. You update and get the new phone, and and, uh, just when you stop paying the monthly fees, they, they rope you in with a sweet deal and get you back on the hook, and that's how that works. And So I got a new phone. It's got, some, it's got some things it can do that the last one couldn't do. I was thinking about that, and uh, I, I got my old phone here, too. This one's, uh, I don't know, this is like an iPhone 5, maybe, 4. I don't know this one. I don't know if you remember this one. It's kind of square and awkward-looking compared to all the ones before it, but I liked this phone. This was a good phone. It didn't have as many features as that one, but... Still pretty good. And I got, <laughs> I got my really old one over here. <clears throat> this one's like second generation or something. This one holds like eight songs. And it takes pictures with like three megapixels. But I love this phone when I had this phone. I was happy with this phone. You, know, you, were good, you were good with the phone you had until they came out with a new one, right? That's how that works. And so I, I've got my phones here. And... My daughter, Macy, she's, she's going to be 13 next month, this month. So we decided to get her a phone for Christmas. And so she got her first phone, too. And we went out shopping after Christmas. We went to Target. Now, if you think the shoppers are crazy before Christmas, go out after Christmas. Everybody's in the return line, swapping stuff out, spending gift cards. We were out there with all the crazy people at Target, and I lost my family. And so I'm roaming around the store, and I thought, I'll call Macy. I mean, she'll be excited to get a call on her new phone. So I picked out her number. I called her straight to voicemail. (laughs) Now, I know she wanted a new phone because she could text all of her friends She could play music, she could play cool games, she could send funny pictures, and all that cool stuff you can do with a phone. But how many of you know why dad wanted her to have a phone? I want to have a phone because it's a phone. It's iPhone. I mean, even the first generation, it's not not iFood. You can't eat it. Like, they come out with new technology and better phones, but it's not iDrone. It doesn't fly. You know, it's an iPhone. And so when I call you, <laughs> you're supposed to answer. Any parents been in, that, been in that conversation? So we had that conversation. Hey, you need to turn your phone on, the ringer on. So when I call you, you actually answer the phone. <laughs> All that other stuff it does is really cool. But the main thing that the iPhone does is take calls. It's a phone. And I think the same, the same way 
with the church, there are some things that we're called to do. There's a lot of things we can do. There's a lot of stuff we're putting on the calendar that we can be busy doing, but there's some things that we got to do, amen? And when, there, when you look at the things that the church is called to do, the things that we must do, one of those things is that we must, <coughs> we must be committed to getting in this book right here. We must be committed to the word of God. And I want to challenge you today to be committed to the main things. The Bible says there in that verse we read, this is where it begins. They devoted themselves, verse 42, to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the word of the Lord. The Assemblies of God USA has has shined a, a major emphasis and spotlight on this topic of Bible engagement. And they've partnered with the Barna Research Group to do extensive studies to, to really drill down to answer the question, what difference does it make? I mean, we, we all would expect that somebody in a church would tell you you ought to read the Bible. That's, that's not revelatory news. That's expected information. But what difference does it make if you do or if you don't set the agenda of your life, the crosshairs of your faith on the word of God. What what difference does it make? Well, I've got some of the results from those studies that were done, and and I want to just share a few things with you today as we lean into the rhythm of the church. This study showed the difference between people who are barely or occasionally engaged with the word of God. Christians, mind you. Only Christians were in this study. People who maybe come to church on Sunday, Maybe they'll read a verse a day um, out, of, out of some you know, email or text or Twitter update every once in a while, but they don't regularly pick up the Bible versus those who do read the Bible. And those who they, they found the plumb line for consistency was four times a week, 10 minutes, 10 minutes a day. Four days a week. That, that was the, the plumb line where they said, this is what we call consistency. If you can just do that four days a week, 10 minutes a day, you are now considered consistent according to these statistics. And here's some of the information that they discovered. If you read your Bible 10 minutes a day, four days a week, you are 228% more likely to share your faith. Can you imagine the impact that it would have on this church if everyone in the church was 228% more likely to share their faith. The study went on to say, you are 407% more likely to memorize scriptures. Now, now, if you don't read your Bible at all, you're 100% unlikely to memorize scriptures. But if you can just do it with some consistency, Four days out of the week, 10 minutes a day as a minimum to say, I can do that. You are 407% more likely to memorize the word of God. Do you know how many people I've heard tell me, I just can't memorize scripture. And then two conversations later, they tell me all the stats of all the starting lineup of their favorite sports team. Don't tell me you can't memorize the word of God. You're 407% more likely to do it if you do it consistently. Spend a little bit of time every week. 
in the word of God. You're 59% less likely to view pornography. And this isn't breaking news, but I'm going to tell you, pornography is an issue. It's not an epidemic in our culture. It's pandemic. Pornography is an issue. Because of all these cell phones that I'm surrounded by this morning, you've got all the temptation you would ever need in your pocket. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5.8 that we should be sober-minded, that we should be vigilant because the devil, our adversary, roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Some of you have a lion in your pocket. And it's a struggle, and it's a stronghold in your life, and God wants you to be set free from it. And the way that you make a covenant with your eyes as to what you're not going to see is by establishing the covenant by putting your eyes on what you are supposed to see. And if you'll just make that agreement with the Lord to say, you know what, I'm going to seek the Lord in his word at least 10 minutes a day, four days out of the week, you are 59% less likely to view pornography you're 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness. Think about the implications of this. The study didn't say if you start reading the Bible four times a week with a small group, then you'll feel less lonely. No, I'm talking about sitting by yourself with no one around at least 10 minutes a day for four days out of the week. The loneliness factor in your life will decrease by 30%. Why? Because all of a sudden the promises of God are going to get in your heart. Jesus' promise to you begins to become clear and true and powerful when he said, I will never, never leave you. I will never forsake you. God in that moment begins to turn your loneliness into aloneness with him. A time of communion and fellowship when we'll just spend a little bit of time consistently in the word of God. I want to give you four of the findings. I'm usually not a stat person, but I'm going to actually put some charts on the screen today because I want you to be able to visualize what I'm talking about here. In this survey that Barna Research did, they found several findings, and you can go to the the BibleEngagementProject.com, and you can read the full thing for yourself, but I just want to give you four of the findings in the study. And the question they were answering is this, what is the power of Bible engagement? What difference does it make? How does it actually manifest in your life if you invest in the word of God? In other words, you know, people give their life to Jesus and they say, God, I receive salvation and I ask Jesus to come and live in my heart and and the spirit of the Lord comes to dwell on the inside of you. But does that have an impact on your life? Does it change the way you live? Do you cultivate and produce the fruit of the spirit of God? Well, the statistics on the influence of the Bible are amazing. Look at this first one. Having to deal with a study on lives reflecting the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So all the way to the left, you can see in blue, 13%. These are Christians. This is not a a random survey. These are Christians. 13% of the people were asked if their lives reflected the fruit of love all of the time. 13% of them said, that's completely true of me. 13% said, 13% of the time, yes, it's completely true of me that my life reflects love. But that's those that are minimally engaged in the word of God. For those that have a high engagement, that's in red. Those that are at least in the word, 10 minutes a day, four days out of the week, it goes up to 52%. 
And they say 52% of the time, that is true of me, that, that I, I'm representing the fruit of love in my life. And you can go across and you can see joy. Look at the difference from 16% to 68% of joy. Some of you have struggled to possess joy. What you need to do is struggle with your Bible in your hands. Begin to get in the Word of God. Peace from 16% up to 68%. The transformation that can happen when you spend time in God's Word. And then you got patience. And it looks like reading your Bible is not going to do anything to make you more patient with other people. (laughs) Sorry. You know, the Bible says... That tribulation worketh patience. And the reality is, you can't lock yourself away. You can read the book cover to cover. It's not going to make you any more patient with people until you deal with people. And, and it's those things that work out patience in our life. But look across the, at kindness and goodness. Man, for a person that gets in the word of God with consistency, they go from 27% to 88% of those that are faithful in the word saying, it's true of me, I, I just, there's goodness in my life. I'm a better person because I talk to God before I talk to you. Some of you need your spouse to get in the word this year. I just feel, I feel some of you want to elbow somebody, so I'll say what you're thinking, but hey, you're a better person when you're in the word. And then faithfulness and gentleness and self-control across the board. This is what this is showing us, that getting in the Bible consistently shifts your ability to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Getting in the Word of God consistently changes the body of Christ. It changes the body of Christ. It it goes from an orchard in a time of famine to a, a, a bumper crop of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Why? Just because individually we've committed to seek the Lord in His Word. Let me show you the next one. This one's about higher priorities on living your faith out in public. So you can see on the far left, and I know you can't read all these. That's why I'm reading them to you. It says, I would feel confident sharing my faith with someone that I just met. For a person that's not engaged in the word of God outside of church and sermons, for a person that's not reading their Bible, they would say, 16% of them would say, I agree strongly. But for those that are committed to be in the word every day, it jumps to 78%. The same with sharing your faith with someone who's uh, a close friend, but not a Christian. It jumps to 78%. Look at this third category. I believe the Holy Spirit regularly intervenes in people's lives today. If you start spending time in God's word, it says of those that do, they believe, 97% of them believe that the Holy Spirit is active in their life. How could you not? I challenge you to find a place, find a page in the word of God where the Holy Spirit is not actively intervening in the lives of his people. And so you begin to read about the stories of men and women in the Bible, and it's not just a highlight reel. No, the Bible tells the the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I mean, we see Noah building an ark and, and saving his family, but we also see Noah a couple chapters later getting drunk. I mean, we see uh, David, you know, slinging a stone and killing a giant, but we also see him committing adultery and then murder. And on and on and on, we see both sides, and you see the Holy Spirit active in the lives of imperfect people. How can you not build your confidence that God still wants to work through me, that God wants to work in your life? 
That's the impact of reading the word of God. Then the last one says, when I'm at work, it's important to me that I do excellent work in order to bring glory to God. If you own a business, you need to give your employees some time to read the word of God. I'm telling you. (laughs) No, seriously, though, what it says is that when I spend time reading the word of God, I recognize that my life is not compartmentalized. That God doesn't just speak to me on Sunday through the pastor. That God doesn't just speak to me on the weekends or or on a podcast. But when I open the word of God, he speaks to me. Not just about my spirit, man. He speaks to me about my marriage. He speaks to me about my kids. He speaks to me about my coworkers. And all of a sudden, as you read the word of God, there becomes an increasing awareness that what I do matters to God and a desire to bring excellence in everything I do to the Lord. So what about the people that say, well, you know, I tried reading the Bible and it was hard. I don't understand it. Or what about people that say, you know, I, I, tried, to, I tried to read it, but it's boring. I, I know you've never said that, but some people, <coughs> some people have said that. Can I, can I just say something that you've probably never heard a preacher say? Some parts are boring. You know, can I, can I tell you, that's why I don't encourage people to read the Bible like you do a novel. Don't just start at the beginning and go all the way to the end. Because if you're saying, I'm going to commit to read my Bible at least four days a week for 10 minutes, it's going to take you more than 10 minutes to get through this long list of names. And I promise you, you're not, you're not going to come away with much encouragement. <clears throat> you're going to come back feeling like you don't know how to spell. You don't know how to read. That's why I... I when I read the Bible, I, I always read some from the Old Testament. I read some from the New Testament. I read from Proverbs. I read from Psalms. I might read one, <coughs> one chapter of Psalms or half a chapter of Psalms. I might just read one or two verses out of Proverbs. You know, Proverbs, they're like those little witty statements. You know, they're just nice little nuggets. You don't really need to read the whole chapter to get the truth of what it's saying. Usually, they're like, Holy Spirit-inspired fortune cookies, you know? Just, just, read, a, just read a good proverb and, and get a word. <clears throat> Most of the Bible's not like that. Don't just read one verse. You get the context. But that's why I read broadly, and I ask the Holy Spirit to speak to me through those, <clears throat> through those places. Let me give you one more. This, this study was about more devotion to the Scriptures and life in the spirit. Look at this. The first one says, I feel more connected to God when I read the Bible. I can't, <laughs> I can't tell you how many people I've heard that have said, you know, I tried to read the Bible, but I just, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't, I don't feel like God speaks to me. And a lot of times, you know, we, we go to, to Bible reading like we go to that New Year's resolution for a new diet. <laughs> you know, it lasts like two trips to the gym. <clears throat> and they were like, ah, it's crowded here. I'm, I'm not doing this. but if you have minimal engagement, only 21% of the people said it's completely true of me, that I feel connected to God when I read my Bible. But for those that say, you know what, I'm gonna do this consistently. I'm not gonna do it based on the way I feel. I'm gonna do it based on faith. I'm gonna pick up my Bible. I'm gonna read God's word. I'm gonna ask him to speak to me continually. It moves from 21% up to 95% that would say when I open my Bible now, Man, I'm close to God. 
I feel God's presence. And then the next one says, there's a specific person in the Bible with whom I can personally relate to. The more you become acquainted with scriptures, the more you become acquainted with the men and women of the Bible. You start to see yourself in the story and in their circumstances. The next one says, I incorporate worship into every aspect of my life. Again, that goes back to wanting to give glory to God because we see that God intervenes with people in life. Not always up on a mountain, but God moves where you're at. And as you start to read that in the word, it changes your outlook. I love this next statistic. It says, I have a clear understanding of how to use the gifts and talents that God has given me. If you don't have any engagement with the word of God by yourself, outside of just listening at church, you're 9% likely to say, I have a clear understanding of how to use the gifts and talents God has given me. Could you imagine what would happen in the church if 61% of the time, everybody in the church could say, I know exactly how the Holy Spirit wants to use me in my gifting. I mean, you talk about activating the body of Christ to fulfill its purpose just by engaging in the word of God systematically and consistently. The last one says, I experience daily fellowship with the Holy Spirit. This is absolutely true of me. 67% of the people that said, I read the Bible at least 10 minutes a day, four days out of the week. 67% of them said, I experience daily fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Some of you, you, you barely get here on Sunday spiritually. You are dragging. You, oh, it's been such a hard week. I, I got to get into worship. I mean, if I don't get into worship, I'm not going to make it. Now, we've all had those moments, but how many of you know we're not supposed to like coast in on, with the tank on E every Sunday? No, you need to be experiencing the Holy Spirit in your life personally. You can do that by engaging God in his word. The last one says this. It's a study of higher life satisfaction across the board. Across the board, people, are you more satisfied with life? <clears throat> I've, it says, in my family relationships, it moved from 50 to 68%. More satisfied in my family relationships because I spent time in the Word. In my friendships, in my work career, in my personal time and development. I love this next one. Engagement at church. This is why your pastor needs you to read the Bible in 2020. Can we just stay here for a moment? The church would go from 38% to 77% engagement in church if I wasn't the only word you were getting on. But if God's speaking to you in your own life, in the pages of his word, all of a sudden being a part of church goes to another level. There's something powerful that God wants to do. I want to challenge you this year to get in the word. Get in the word every day and let God speak to your heart. Be a self-feeder. I mean, it's awesome to be able to come together and to receive a word. <coughs> but I'm going to tell you, the words that I preach from this platform, the words that anyone preaches from this platform, because I guard this pulpit, they've spent time They've prayed over it. They've mulled over it. They've meditated on the word. They've extracted the, the, the nutrients and the strength, and they've fed you the milk of the word. And praise God for it. Your life can be changed by that word. But if you're going to grow in strength, you've you got to pick up the spoon. you got to become a self-feeder. 
you, you got to do a little bit of the hard work of, of, of chewing the meat of the word. You got to do the hard work of saying, God, I, I want to hear from you in my own life. I don't want to get every word that you're speaking secondhand. God, speak to me by your Holy Spirit. <clears throat> now, I want to give you something really practical here at, at the close of this service. Because I, I, believe, I believe this can be a tool that will help you. And If you have a pen close by, you can write this down. This is something we walked through in our, in our life groups a while back. It's something I've taught before, but I want to encourage you this year in your devotional life to use soap. And I want you to write down the left-hand margin there of your paper, the, the letters S-O-A-P, soap. When you were a kid, you tried to hurry up and wash your hands before dinner, your mom would say, go back and use soap. <coughs> How many of you know if you don't use soap, it, it didn't work? <coughs> you know cleaner than a junkyard dog in a rainstorm. Got to use some soap. I want to give you some soap for your devotional life. It's just a method. It's just a way that you can extract a word from the Lord. And, and this is what you do. As you read your Bible, maybe you have a Bible reading plan. I would encourage you to have a Bible reading plan. Otherwise, you're going to open your Bible to your favorite book every time. You know, there's some, there's some Christians, they've read Psalm. They've read all the Psalms, all 150 Psalms. They've read them a dozen times. They've never read the whole Bible. Because, oh, I just, I just like the Psalms. Well, I like the Psalms too, but God's got a lot more to say. And so get a plan that'll take you through the word of God. <clears throat> and I'll read through that plan. And as I read through that plan, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to give me a word from the word. I'm not gonna remember everything. How many of you have read the Bible, you know, in the morning and then like two hours later, you're trying to remember what you read <laughs> and you can't remember anything you read? I know I'm not going to retain everything, but I'm saying, God, give me a word today. Give me a word from the word. And so as I'm reading through the scriptures, maybe, now right now I'm reading through 2 Samuel, but because I read broadly, I'm reading through 2 Samuel, and I'm in Psalms, and I'm reading one or two Proverbs, and I'm also in John 20. John 20 is talking about the crucifixion, and that's great, but 2 Samuel is one of my favorite books. And so when I get to the end of that reading, I just want to keep reading 2 Samuel, but I go ahead and I move on, and I read the next part, and and I'm asking, Holy Spirit, just give me a word. And sometimes I'll come to one verse, and it's like the Holy Spirit's highlighted it already in my Bible. It just kind of stands off the page a little bit. It speaks to me, just a thought or something. And so when he's highlighted it, I highlight it. Or I'll underline it. Or I'll just, I'll just jot the reference right there. And then I just keep on reading. I finish my reading for the day. And after I've, I've read the scriptures, I'll go back. And next to the S in my journal... I always have my journal with me when I'm doing my personal devotions because if God's going to speak to me, I want to listen. And if God said it, I think I probably ought to remember it. And so I open up my journal and, and I write S, and the S stands for Scripture. And so I go back to that verse that really stood out to me, and I write that verse. I mean, I, I transcribe it. I write the whole verse out. I write that verse. And then next to the O, that stands for Observation. And so I, I just make observation. In other words, I don't go to the, I don't go to the Bible to say, <clears throat> what is the Bible saying to me? Because the context is so important. The first question I want to ask is, what was it saying to the people he wrote it to? I, I start asking some good inductive questions like who, what, where, why. You know, I start wanting to know, who's this to? And so I just look at it. 
And I say, well, this is what was happening. And in my own words, maybe just two or three sentences, not a lot, just enough that I get the, this is what, this is who's saying it, this is who he's saying it to, this is what he's saying. That's the O, observation. Then I go to the A, application. The A stands for application. And now I'm asking the Holy Spirit, why did you highlight this verse? Why, why did it jump off the page? Why, why did I slow down and read this one twice? What is it in my life? This is where we close the gap, church, between what we believe and how we behave. This is where we close the gap, where the Holy Spirit begins to speak to us about us. And I say, what is it you're saying to me today? This is where we engage our hearts and our minds. And then I, I just begin to write down what the Spirit's saying to me. You can write it however you want. If you want to write it like a diary entry, you might write it from first, <clears throat> from first person as if the Lord's actually saying it to you. Usually I, I write it as if I'm telling it to somebody else. I just, I write what, what I feel like the Lord's saying. <clears throat> and then you move to the P. And P stands for prayer. And, and I want to encourage you on the prayer. <clears throat> this is your chance to respond to what God has told you. He's given you a scripture. You've made an observation about the text. Now you have the application. Now respond. And, and write the prayer out. Don't, don't just do bullet points. Write the prayer out. And I'll write, and again, maybe it's only a few sentences. I'm not talking about pages and pages. But I'll write the prayer out. This is, Lord, my response to what you're saying to me. <clears throat> you know what will happen? In just a little while, you won't be one of those people that say, I don't really know how to hear from God. Because you'll have a journal full of testimonies, of things that you heard from God. And the reason it's so important that you write those prayers down is because sometimes you can open up that journal and you can go back. You can look at the prayers that you prayed. And it's a testimony to what God has done. I thank God. Sometimes I go back and I look at some of my old journals. I've got prayers that I wrote in my journal at the beginning of 2013. Questions I was asking God about what he's doing and where he's leading our lives. Not knowing that in the summer of 2013, God was going to speak to our hearts and call us to Pennsylvania and we'd pastor this church. And I thank God that I could look back and say, oh my goodness, I can't believe I prayed that prayer before I knew where we were going and that God has done exactly what we were praying about. It's so encouraging to see the faithfulness of God. You need a logbook of God's faithfulness. Another reason it's so good to write your prayers down is because sometimes you can go back and you can read an old prayer and you can go, oh man, I need to pray that again. <laughs> like, I hadn't prayed about that in a while, but that's still an issue. Like, I'm, I'm, I still need that. <clears throat> and you go back and you pray those prayers again. I want to challenge you to just make a commitment to be in the rhythm of what God wants to do in his church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Allow God to speak to you in 2020. To not just go firing away at what sounds good or to get caught up in all of the the rigidity of trying to, you know, just set a bunch of goals and follow a lot of steps. I would caution all of us against investing ourselves in things that don't matter. But to slow down and to wait on the Lord, and to let God speak to your heart and speak to your life. Today, I want to pray for you at the end of this message here, and I want to invite you, if you would, stand with me all over this room.
for time's sake, I, I, won't, I won't read all of this, but I was looking through my journal this week and I went back to November 28th of this year. I was, we were staying at my brother's house in Alabama for the holidays. And uh, I got up that morning, found a comfortable spot on uh, their chase lounge that sits beside a window, got my leather-bound Bible out. I, I, if you like to read on your phone, that's good, but I, I like having a Bible in my hands. I just, I like the feel of it. I like the smell of it. I like the sound of it when I turn the pages. And I like a good cup of coffee too. So I got my Bible out and I got my journal and a pen and I got a good cup of coffee and I sat down there at my brother's house and I happened to be reading in the book of Ruth. And, and the verse that stood out to me was a verse where Naomi is telling her two daughters-in-law because her sons had died. She was saying, you should go your separate way. Essentially, I have nothing else to offer you. And that verse stood out to me. So I, I wrote that verse. Return home, you daughters of mine. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought still there was hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons. I know it's a weird verse, right? But, but it stood out to me. Sometimes we miss God because we don't slow down. That's why I'm not asking God for 10 things. I'm asking for one. God, what are, you, what, are you trying to say? what are you trying to say to me in that? So I observed the text. Oh yeah, Naomi's sons had died and this is what's happening. And, and then I asked the Holy Spirit, what are you saying? And in my application, I wrote these words. Never limit God's blessing to your blueprint. That, that was the nugget that I needed. She thought God couldn't bless her because things didn't work out. And the Spirit spoke to me right there. Never limit God's blessing to your blueprint. I jotted a couple more thoughts down, and the Lord said this to me, to me, Aaron. Your faith in God is what makes you followable, not your measurement of God's blessing in your life. I thought, wow, I'm like Naomi sometimes. I can't see the goodness of God, and so I feel unfollowable. But God, through His Spirit, through some obscure verse in Ruth 1.12, said to me, you're not followable because of your ability to count the blessings. You're followable because of your faith in God. And, and so I, I just started writing down a prayer. Father, help me to hold fast to the hope that is an anchor for my soul. My value is not limited to my ability to count my blessings. You've already blessed me innumerably through the cross. May I never push others away or disqualify myself from God-given leadership assignments because of personal disappointments or a limited perspective on how you're working in my life. You know, that's the word I needed that day. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to give you. A word. Maybe so, it may be so small and so insignificant, but because it's timely, it's powerful. 